Welcome to Drinking Bros, presented by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Put down the water and grab a fucking drink. drink, 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 drink. Welcome to Drinking Bros. We got a very special guest tonight. A man who only needs one name. Jocko. Yeah. I'm not even going to say his last name. There's no need. There's certain people in this world that you don't even have to say their last name. You just know who they are. Talking about Kobe. Talking about Cher. Okay, maybe not Cher, but Jocko is definitely one of those people. Today, he sits down with Evan Hafer and does a little one-on-one. They also talk about veteran-owned businesses. Uh, This initially ran on our sister show, Launch Code, which Evan is a host of, and now we're running it on Drinking Bros. It was one of the greatest episodes we've ever had, and we thought we would share it here with you tonight. But first, we have some sponsors that put this whole shit wagon on the air. First and foremost, talking about BlackRifleCoffee.com. Get a little BRCC in ya, man. If you're like me, trying to come back from this Thanksgiving, it's taking a few more extra cups of coffee here to get the engines going. Fuck me, did I read. Great, great times. Had a blast, but I need some BRCC to get me going now. They got K-Cups. They got bags. Their Black Friday sale was off the fucking chain, too. They had a 40% off. Look, we got a new promo code. Drinking Bros 20 at BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use it on the Coffee Club of the Month. Sign up. Um, they're doing deals all the time, but they're sending to you through email. Sign up for the Coffee Club of the Month. Use the promo code DRINKINGBROS20 and get on it, man. The They deliver at the same date of every single month. K-Cups, bags, a bunch of amazing blends. Uh, speaking of which, since we got Mike the Cop and uh, Officer Daniels on today, they've got a thin blue line bag. This is uh, I'm actually getting getting some from my neighbors for Christmas, man. So super stoked about that. Super stoked about everything that Black Rifle Coffee does. Go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Type in the promo code DRINKINGBROS20 for 20% off over there. Next up, we got StrikeForceEnergy.com. Strikeforce Energy is the premier energy drink in the biz. Great stocking stuffer. So, look, if you're out there, it's Black Friday or Cyber Monday, whatever the fuck it is. Uh, use the promo code Drinking Bros for 20% off. They got four amazing flavors. And they're, they come in little boxes, so it's great for, for stocking stuffers. They're 10 packs, too. Um, get a get a get a four pack for them. That way you can get the, the lemon, orange, grape, and original. Uh, they also got a, a twenty pack and a seven fifty milliliter bottle. You can kick the can. You don't need the can anymore. It's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Use the promo code Drinking Bros for twenty percent off. They also have a subscription of the month club, which is great. It's StrikeForceEnergy.com. Drinking Bros twenty percent off, and they ship everywhere in the entire world. Next up, we got ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. God damn it. I love the fact that we have our own landing page there. I also love the fact that they're, they're dropping massive deals for the holidays. Their Black Friday deal is extending on some Monday, and I believe next week. It is $7.99 off for a bundle package. They're offering uh, $200 off on a bed, $300 off if you get beds and pillows. I mean, the deals there are fucking incredible. Go to ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros right now and, and get a mattress if you need one. It gets shipped right to your house. Same with the adjustable base, man. 
No assembly required. You pull it out, boom. A couple hours later, you're ready to go. The other thing I like, they get a pay-as-you-go plan. No interest on it for 36 months, which is insanity. Three years, no interest. A lot of you, if you're out there like me, um, you know, you're married, and usually at this point in my life, we go on, you know, go all in on a on one gift together. If you're looking to get a mattress, this is the the way to do it, and this is the best savings for you if you're a man or a woman. Do it. Get a mattress from ghostbed.com forward slash drinking bros. Best decision I've ever made. I love their fucking mattresses. We all do, uh, to be honest with you. Next up, we got bisonunion.com. Be the bison. Bison Union, obviously, is, is owned by hashtag Bert, Bert from TV. Uh, look, man, we wear their products all the time. We love Bison Union. If you're a dude, the shit just fits right. You look cool. Um, they, they get custom-made boots, belts. Uh, hats look we wear their hats all the time on our instagram uh at matt best official or, or at st james um if you're doing it right we all wear burt's gear um him and candace his wife uh they moved to to wyoming that's why he's not on the show as much anymore so they could you know focus more on the company look it just it just became huge man all of us started wearing it and then loved it everybody else started wearing it They're like oh shit this is really as great as you say and it is so we got together with them. You guys asked for a promo code. We have one now. It's Drinking Bros. 20% off. Go to Bison Union. Get all of your shit for uh, the holidays that you need for Christmas at bisonunion.com. I can tell you, man, it's worth it. Um, next up, we got grillyourassoff.com. 100% veteran-owned. Seasonings for the holidays. Seasonings for everything, man. We, shit, we use it on turkey. Thanksgiving. Um, you can use it on anything. Chicken. Steak, pork, you name it. You're, look, you're going to buy seasonings anyways. You might as well buy them from a company that's 100% veteran-owned. Plus, they're huge, man. Um, you, you buy these seasonings, you're good to go for the <laughs> holidays. Their beef jerky is second to none. That's a great stocking stuffer. I, I believe they have a subscription on that. I eat that shit all the time. Their sweet and spicy is my favorite. Four-pack, 25 bucks. You're good to go. And it's uh, USA American beef. None of that Mexico shit. I think it's pumped full of like weird steroids or something. Uh, not here. They're using American beef. Go to grillyourassoff.com. Again, 100% veteran-owned company. Use the promo code DRINKINGBROS. 15% off at grillyourassoff.com. Last but not least. Definitely not least. Grenadesoap.com. It's made with real gunpowder, so you know it's good. Um, they got a bunch of awesome bathing products for dudes. And finally, you can smell like a dude, so you're not using your wife's shit, her bullshit loofah or whatever, you know, cream or lotions or whatever you use on that. No, get a soap on a rope again. Uh, it's got it, that, the gunpowder thing is real. It's, it's fucking awesome. Uh, big fan of uh, grenadesoap.com. We use that shit all the time, man. They've been on and off the show for the last like three years. We love them. Um, we also love the fact they have a taint scrubber. They just have gr- great shit for dudes, products for dudes. Um, the taint scrubber thing's hilarious because, I mean, dude, with ass eating season really taking off like this, scrub up your shit. You, you don't know if you're going to get flipped over in the middle of the night by your lady. She's going to put a tongue in there. So go to grenadesoap.com. Clean yourself up. Uh, use the promo code DRINKINGBROS for 20% off at grenadesoap.com. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Jocko. It is 
A great day in sunny San Diego. I can't be more excited about today's podcast. I'm a huge fan of this man in particular. I've been listening to his podcast, reading his books, uh, following him now for, I guess, over a year, I would say. So I'm relatively new to to the uh, to the Jocko tribe, for a lack of a better con- <laughs> a lack of a better definition. Uh, man, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. Um, I'm super excited, Jocko, to have you on the podcast specifically. I know everybody that follows Drinking Bros and Launch Code is going to be absolutely ecstatic about having you on the fucking show. Um, yesterday, you did this speaking engagement for uh, Clever Talks. Uh, I think we could have... You, not we. I think you could have probably taken those guys and taken a fucking machine gun nest yesterday. So, <laughs> Jocko, thank you so much for being on the show, man. This is awesome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Uh, well, first and foremost, if you've been living on the moon um, and you don't know who Jocko is, can you give us your your, your two-minute bio as far as who's Jocko? Yeah, I, I grew up in a... Little New England town on a dirt road. I was a really rebellious kid. I joined the military after high school and I spent 20 years in the military and then I retired. And that's what I'm doing. That's not even two minutes. There you go. <laughs> that's, I'm that's hyper like, efficient. Yeah, hyper efficient. That's like the 30 second overview. I yeah, love it. Yeah, but that's, that, that's it. That's what I did. Yeah. You know, I always wanted to be in the military since I was a little kid and that's what I did. I feel pretty lucky that I, I had the opportunity to to serve and then when I retired I kind of took some of the lessons that I learned in the military and started applying them to the civilian sector so what um, w- what was the defining moment that you knew you wanted to be in the military to start when you were six seven eight nine ten I do I don't remember I don't know when you start to remember things right as a person but at whatever time I can remember having thoughts as a human, I wanted to have a, some kind of machine gun. <laughs> you know, like, right. I mean, I would take sticks. Every stick that I could find became a machine gun in my hands. Every, right. you know, broom, every hockey stick, just anything that you picked up. I mean, anything that I picked up became a machine gun. And, you know, I I did with the, what all kids do. I take a cork and burn it and then paint my face black and run around the woods and go to old army navy stores and get camouflage uniforms and that's that's what that's what we did shoot each other with bb guns get right. some. well did you guys have did you have uh military family members so my grandfather was a 20-year army and he retired as a major and my dad got kicked out of rotc in college which is kind of funny, and he tells me that the military gene skips a generation. So in my direct family, no. Nope. My dad, like I said, my dad got kicked out mm-hmm. on ROTC. I think he was, he told me the story, the final straw that broke the camel's back was he had been using some kind of speed spray-on polish for his shoes. And, oh. you know, this is 1950-something, and, yeah. and they they were falling behind they had to be somewhere so they marched him across this grass and and the and all this the grass stuck to his shoes so he showed up for inspection and that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back so that was that 
I can empathize with that. I was kicked out of ROTC in college too. So <laughs> there you go. That's a, it's a, but I just went enlisted instead. Yeah. So I said, fuck you guys. I'm yeah. just going to do something else. Um, so what'd you get kicked out for fighting? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I was a, uh, sophomore and I had a junior ahead of me mm-hmm. and we were living in the same house and he was a dick mm-hmm. and, um, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily beat him up, but mm-hmm. I definitely hit him a few times and he mm-hmm. didn't like that for some reason. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't willing to fight back either, which is a whole other thing in the personality and a person's character and personality. That's one of the reasons why I fucking hated him. Mm-hmm. Right. So he was just cowardly still is today. I would imagine. So probably <laughs> you can't change genetics. It's, <laughs> you're not going to stand next to a microwave for a year and become a hero. It's not going to happen. Jack. <laughs> um, so you joined the Navy yep. right away. Yep. Yep. So did you know that you wanted to be a SEAL before you joined the Navy? Oh, yeah. 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 I, I definitely didn't join the Navy to be in the Navy. Right. I joined because I wanted to be in the SEAL teams. And I had heard about the SEAL teams. And, you know, everyone said it was hard. And I liked the water. So, yeah. you know, I, I ha- so I had a buddy that went. Do you remember this program where you could join the Army in between your junior and senior year in high school, and yeah, the just delayed go to entry program. But no, you'd yeah. go to boot camp. Yeah, and you'd. I think you'd go to boot camp. You might even go to AIT too. I think you'd do both. Yeah. But anyways, you go to one or the, you go to one. Maybe you go to both. But anyways, this friend of mine went and he came back and he told me this story. And I heard this story, and the story was they were out on they were at Benning, and they're out wherever there's a track you know there's like a track and whatever they're out there doing pt or something and they're standing around and there's a guy with there's a guy running on the track and he's got boots a t-shirt cami pants and he's wearing a rucksack and he's got a beard and he's running at a high rate of speed and my buddy you know who's 17 he's like drill sergeant who's that guy and the drill sergeant you know and this is my buddy telling me the story and this is also me you know, dramatizing the story to, you know, make it seem what it seemed like in my head when I was 16. Right. The drill sergeant looks, doesn't even look at my friend. He just keeps looking ahead and, and he goes, Delta. And my buddy goes, drill sergeant, is there anyone that's tougher than Delta? And the drill sergeant goes, SEAL team. And I heard that story. I was like, okay. Okay. Well, I know where I'm going. And obviously that's not even remotely true. And as we both know, there's freaking awesome guys in every right. community in in the entire military. But when you're 15 or whatever, that's a, it's a decision point for me. And that's kind of what happened. So I heard that story and I got pretty, pretty uh, focused on making it the SEAL teams. That's, uh, that's pretty funny. When I was in a junior, when I was a junior in high school, I actually had a book in my back pocket and I went over to my girlfriend's house at the time and her dad was this crazy old guy, really successful, fucking super intense. Reminds me kind of like you in a way. And I'm 17. I'm just an asshole, dumb fuck kid. Like as all 17 year olds Mm -hmm. typically are. But I had a book about Navy SEALs in Vietnam. I was, I was an avid Navy SEAL Vietnam reader mm-hmm. even 16 17 18 and this guy stops and he's like what do you got me what do you got in that pocket and I like pulls it out he's like i got another book for you 
So I, he opens up this door in his basement and it's like creaks open and it's the coolest fucking room I've ever seen in my life. Mm-hmm. Like, like scuba tanks and just guns and knives and hatchets and plaques and flags and i'm like this Mm -hmm. holy shit i don't know who this guy is he's a retired lieutenant colonel sf guy worked Mm -hmm. for the agency like just and he hands me this book he takes my navy seal book and he hands me this the history of the green berets by uh colonel donald sutherland no shit yeah and he hands it to me he's like i want you to read this and give it back to me and tell me what you think in a few months well, I gave it back to him like a year later. Yeah. And I had memorized like every sentence in this thing. Like I knew exactly what I was going to do, right? I'm going to be a Green Beret. Yeah. And, uh, but it's funny because at 16 or 17, yeah. you know, you're like, I'm yeah. doing this. Yeah. And you just need that little push. You know, if yeah. that would have been an ex-team guy or some force recon guy, you would have been like, yeah. 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 I would have <laughs> been like, I'm force. I'm yeah. force all the way. Yeah. I'm, I don't know if I would have ever said like... I'm going to go be um, an, an aviation guy. I, I don't know if I would. No, well, no, I definitely i have had that discussion. I, I I never had that kind of desire to fly no. a plane or even to drive a tank or anything like that. <clears throat> and, and I love the fact that there are guys that love doing that mm-hmm. and that that's what they're – I mean, you've got to be a – you know, my buddy Dave Burke that's at Echelon Front with me, he's from the Marine Corps, but he's a, a fighter pilot. And, I mean, he's just the most squared away dude ever. And – he he loved that, and if you don't just want to yeah. do that, you're gonna hate it because you're landing on an aircraft carrier in the middle of the night. It's just a hard job. It's a hard job. Yeah. <laughs> it's a crazy hard job. Yeah, yeah. But I never did that either. You know, like I just envisioned myself at like 16 with you know like yeah. this K bar in the swamp. You know, the Vietnam. Yeah. That that image of a commando in Vietnam was like that's what I totally. wanted. You know, with an SF guy, it was like, you got your Hmong or your commando mm. fighting force. You're out off the fucking grid. Nobody's messing with you. You're basically yeah. wearing a loincloth and packing a machine gun. And, like, that was the image that I was running after, For right? sure. Yeah. For sure. So, so you joined the Navy yep. <clears throat> right out of high school. Yep. How long was it before you went to Bud's? Months. I mean, right. I just went through boot camp and then... So you and, didn't have another MOS before? Nope. Okay. Nope. Nice. Just You just rolled. And did you... Uh, did you get? Did you graduate first time go? Yep. Yeah, you didn't yep. get recycled or anything nope. like that. Nope. I was young and stupid, and just <laughs> you know, I was a very average uh, athlete growing up, <clears throat> you know, at best. But that's actually not a bad thing in, right. in buds, at least when I went through, because well, there was guys that went through around my time frame that were really good at one particular thing, but they would suck at other things. And that's not a good combination. Right. So yeah, it's just, um, and you were the youngest guy. Is that what you said yesterday? Uh, no. So in my first seal platoons, yeah. in my okay. first two seal platoons, I was the youngest guy and the most junior guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's basically humble pie every day, right? Well, it was awesome when you're yeah. checking into. When I checked into SEAL Team One back in the day, it was freaking awesome. It right. was just like, it was so cool, you know, like all those. And we and you didn't you didn't really make eye contact with the guys that were right. you know that had been there because they would beat you up. And like for real, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like there, there was like up. there was like yeah. a, a lot of a lot of it was a it was a violent 
um, atmosphere, right? right? And so you just you know you just kept your head, your eyes down, and you know just tried to be squared away. And and that's that was my goal. My goal is just to like be as squared away as I could and be a good seal. That was that was my goal. That's what I wanted to do. And I mean and. It was all like in a fun way. I mean, yeah. it was all it was all hazing, you know, right. just hazing, getting beat up, getting taped up, getting hung from the rafters, getting put in the dip tank, just just all just fun, you know, stuff. And it, you know, even at the time, it was kind of fun, you know. Right. I mean, you're like, cool. This is this is where I want to be. So I think that's a common misconception with hazing. I, I really do. Like oh, people yeah. people always think like it must. And, and especially civilians, they're like, oh, I can't believe it. And it's like, I remember having a gladiator drills in the barracks where the senior enlisted would throw beer bottles at you while you held a, like a, a trash can lid and you're basically, you know, naked. And they would smoke the living shit out of you. And I'm like, but that was just the deal. Yeah, yeah. It was like, well, I'm not worried about it. I don't yeah. think less of them. Oh no, it's <laughs> it's pretty fun. Well, and and then can people take hazing too far? Absolutely, yes. people yes. can do. And so it's like you need a hazing safety officer mm-hmm. to make sure that things aren't getting totally out of hand. And you know, I had this discussion with some folks. I mean, the the hazing that should happen. It, there's people that make the hazing really, really degrading. Mm-hmm. And it, is it going to be slightly degrading? Yeah, it's it's humbling. Like like, and that's what happens when you check into the SEAL team. It's like, oh, I just finished the hardest training in the in the free world. Right. I'm a badass. And you show up at a SEAL team, and you know, actually, the Master Chief, the Master Chief. I checked in with a couple other guys, and we went to check in with the Master Chief of the command. And so the three of us, you know, he goes, come in. So we go into, and we're standing there at like the position of attention and he points at us and he's like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. Everyone here has been through that training. It doesn't mean shit. You got to prove yourself. And we were like, okay. I mean, that's a cool welcome aboard as far as I'm concerned. So that was pretty neat. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people, they think too, that once you graduate selection and training, you're good. You know, you got this tab or you got this cool thing on your chest or yeah. a hat. It's like, no. it not, <laughs> you're, you just started. It, it takes a long, long time to where you have any slack whatsoever. Yeah. It takes a long time. Cause in that, I mean, in the seal teams, if you, when you, when you mess up, it's everyone knows if you mess up bad, mm-hmm. like for instance, if you have an accidental discharge, Every single person on that coast, there's, you know, the coast, there's West Coast and East Coast Seals. Every single person on that coast will know your name Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they'll know it forever. (laughs) So that's like an example. (laughs) And that's that's if you stay, because, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times if you have an AD, depending on the situation, that that could be the end of your your career. So something like that or even someone if you get lost. Oh, yeah. If you get lost and you require you know, like some kind of help that everyone is going to know that. So if you screw up and that can happen at any point in your career. Mm -hmm. So there is a, there, there's a lot of pressure and that's from, in my mind, that's what keeps, that's what keeps, keeps us sharp is that you don't want to be, you don't want to screw up. You don't want to let yourself down. You don't want to let your friends down. You don't want to have, you don't want to sully your reputation and the reputation is everything. So, yeah. Yeah. It's reputation is everything. And I think I had more performance anxiety around, not letting my teammates down. Oh, for sure. Than anything we ever did. It was, like who? I didn't give a shit about jumping out of a helicopter. It, that stuff was didn't even 
you didn't think about it. Of course, of course, yeah. But the performance anxiety. And one thing, when I was running training, one thing that I tried to shift the focus was there was a lot of stress. When When I first came in, there was a lot of stress on like safety and mechanics of hey you didn't you you were you were too you were more you were more than six inches off this wall you know you right. were, you you penetrated too deep whatever they were they there was very a lot of stress on that and a lot of stress on the mechanics of what you were doing and that and that was very stressful when you were mm-hmm. coming through the training when I ran the training like not that we took the stress off of that but I wanted the stress to come from having the leaders need to make decisions in really dynamic chaotic situations because that was the stress that i felt overseas that i wanted to simulate for guys so it was a little shift on where the stress was and i wanted the stress to be i wanted guys to feel the pressure of i need to make a decision right now this is a this is a terrible scenario i barely even understand what's happening to my platoon right now and i need to figure it out and i need to make a decision as opposed to hey we're going to give you a safety violation because you did these mechanics wrong Mm -hmm. not that we didn't do that but we added. We. Uh, it's not that we took that stuff away. It's just that we added even more stress. That's the point. Right. Well, I know we were. Ta- you were talking about it yesterday, and it's interesting because I. I spent the last several years of my professional career with the government, training advanced tactics CQB, in developing high pressure scenarios to put basically one and two men into, in order to unravel what they were doing. Um, so the technique versus the complex problem-solving ability of the individual. When you were talking about it yesterday, I would see that firsthand from the catwalk, and I would purposely build really advanced and, and, and technically advanced scenarios that would be more complicated than most anything they would ever see mm-hmm. in order to induce the situation where they had to think and make really advanced decisions, not about how... I don't care about whether or not you're penetrating the room, you know, three feet and then collapsing your sector of fire. I want you to collapse. I want you to penetrate the room to the point in which you can clear the majority of the dead space and collapse your sector of fire where it makes sense because you can read the tactical situation and you're penetrating based on that. Not not a dance rehearsal thing. Yeah, right? and again. Uh, totally right. And and to anyone that's listening, that's thinking, well, that's you know, you can't get away from the fundamentals. I'm not saying that. You're not saying that. No. You absolutely have to have the fundamentals. You have to have the mechanics down. Once you get the mechanics down, let's induce more stress that actually that people have to think think through problems because you can get better at thinking through problems. Mm-hmm. You can get better at recogn- you know, pattern pattern recognition and also learning how to detach, which I talk about all the time. And that was to me is one of the biggest advantages that you have as a leader is if you can step back, if you can step back off the firing line two feet, you you see infinitely more than anyone else that's staring down the the sights of their weapon, and that allows you to make really good decisions as opposed to staying right up there on the firing line and not moving your head and not looking around and you're right. you're going to make bad decisions. So you know when we're talking about scenarios, and now I think that one of the things that I was thinking about yesterday when you were talking is you've got a bunch of guys that are transitioning out of the mill and they've they've had an immense amount of structure in their life they've had great management or mediocre management depending on where they are they've had great leaders mediocre leaders but they've had structure and they've been put into scenarios especially in special operations you're 
thrown into scenario after scenario after scenario then you're then you're galvanizing that with with your experience one of the the things that i was thinking about was how do you take that or those lessons learned in the military distill those down into the things that you need to put in your briefcase and pack out out of the military with i get that question a lot which is guys aren't thinking about and i'll just use that example is i wrote thousands of op, op orders right mm-hmm. just, and i had to write one for my own departure out of out of service i had to write my mission statement guys are thinking about i have all these skills but they're not thinking about how to translate those as they they transition what were some of the things that you were doing in order to to make that happen well if you're talking about me individually I, I did a pretty bad job right. of all that. I was all in for the SEAL teams, and that's really the only thing that I thought about. What happened to me was I, the last few years I was in, I was running the training for the West Coast SEALs, and the training was very advanced, and really I focused a lot on combat leadership. And so I had prepared a, a, a brief that I would give and it was that simple. It's, you know, they called the Jocko brief. Like, this is what right. we're going to talk about: the, the the fundamental principles of combat leadership. And that didn't exist. Like when I went through training, no one pulled no one pulled the leaders aside and said, "Okay, here are the fundamental principles that you need to know to lead on the battlefield." The the Army, the Marine Corps, they do that very very well. You have great doctrine. The the uh, I think it's FM seven tax six. I might be wrong, but it's rifle platoon and squad FM seven dash eight seven dash eight. You look at that thing and it's like here is what your job is. Here are your roles and responsibilities for the platoon commander. Mm-hmm. The 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 first sergeant. It's like right on down the line. And we didn't have that in the SEAL teams, right? And okay, now that's that's a bad thing. It's also a good thing because. Your strengths are often your weaknesses. Your weaknesses are often your strengths. In the SEAL teams, we didn't have doctrine. We, we re- literally had almost no doctrine in the SEAL teams. And so what that meant was everybody, you could throw a mission at us that n- no one no one had ever done before. Right. And we'd look at it and go, okay, let's figure out how to get it done. And we'd do a better job of getting it done than if we had been always using doctrine all the time and we mm-hmm. were told, hey, oh, it's a direct action mission. Here's how you do it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's a... It's an ambush. Here's how you do it. We, we would literally have something that would be handed down on a piece of paper. Hey, this is how we did ambushes last time. Last time, And I got this from this guy, and he got it from that guy. And that's how we would learn. But it wasn't written down anywhere. From a leadership perspective, it, it definitely wasn't anywhere. And so when I took over that training and realized, I, I, I literally realized the first night that I went on a training operation with a SEAL platoon that did a horrible job and was a total disaster and was all because of the leadership. And I realized, okay, I've got to teach these people what I know mm-hmm. and I've got to do it in a very quick way. I've got to simplify things. I've got to distill it down into something they can understand and implement very quickly. And that's when I wrote down the, the four laws of combat, which is what became the book Extreme Ownership. <laughs> and I took that, and that's what I was doing. So, my, so for my last couple years, it actually my last almost three, four years, I was just running that training over and over and over again and seeing all these leaders go through this training and seeing what mistakes they'd make and getting the platoon that was outside the box, getting them back in the box, right. getting the leaders that were not making good decisions, getting them to make good decisions, getting rid of leaders that couldn't cut it. I mean, that's what I was doing. So as I was getting ready to retire, I knew a guy that was the CEO of a company and he came to me and said, hey, can you talk to my executives about 
about leadership. And I said, I said, yeah, sure. And so I went and talked and he, and when I got done, I basically redid, I, I, I had gotten the brief that I used to give to the SEAL leaders. I had talked to, uh, some soft caucus. I talked to a civilian governmental group that not everyone had uh, secret clearances. Mm -hmm. So I had to go through my chain of command and my chain of command declassified the brief. So I had a declassified version of this brief. Thank God. Right. And you know, they pulled out whatever we couldn't talk about and it was just these principles. So I went and gave that brief. And when I got done, he, you know, the CEO came up to me and said, I want you to do this for every division of my company. And I was like, okay. And he so I started doing that and then at one of those divisional meetings the CEO of the parent company was there and he said I want you to come and talk to all my CEOs and I went and talked to all the CEOs and then a, a, a number of those CEOs came up to me and said can you come and do this for my company and at that time Leif Babin who was one of my platoon commanders that worked for me in the battle Ramadi he was he had he had just gotten out he had moved to New York he was getting married or just got married and I said, "Hey, man, I need you know, I need some backup over here. You know, we got some business to do." And you know, that was it. He came on board, and and that was that was how it started. So, to your point of how did I know what to put in my kit bag when I departed? I didn't. Right. I didn't. I didn't really know. But what I can tell people now, and this is this is why we started another company called EF Overwatch. You know, Echelon Front Overwatch mm-hmm. is what these civilian companies need, and I work with civilian companies just about every day. What they need and what you talked about is what people in the military have is they have leadership skills. Right. That's what they have. And they don't what what people don't realize is how valuable those leadership skills are. And to a company in the civilian sector to be able to take a person that has the leader the leadership skills are the hardest things to get out of someone. If you if if there's some technical skill that you know or that you don't know, like you need to learn about manufacturing or you need to learn about uh, sales of a particular product, like a, a, a military guy can pick that up. But if he's but what it's harder for a civilian to pick up is like oh leadership. How do I lead people? But you take a military guy that's been in for 16 years and he's done multiple combat deployments. He knows how to figure things out. He knows how to get a team oriented in the right direction and moving towards a target and get a mission accomplished. That's what he knows. And so it's it's that's what you bring out. What you bring out of the military is your leadership skills, working with people. Now, as you and I both know, and this is this is a huge caveat. Just because you're in the military doesn't mean you're a good leader. And right. there's there's people that come out of the military that are awful leaders. Mm-hmm. And I had a hard time in the beginning because we got asked for a long time, how can we get you know we want to we want to use we want to recruit military people. I want military people at my company, and I had a hard time giving like the blanket yes just go hire veterans and you'll be stoked right because there's also veterans you know if you led like a tyrant in the military and you think you're going to lead like that in the civilian sector it's going to be horrible it it was already horrible when you were in the military you just didn't know it as well because you got (laughs) well why is that the reason is because in the military as you know you do your job for two years and then you're going to get placed in another position of leadership somewhere else. So y- y- you can barely survive that thing, and boom, you got a clean slate. And that's right. how people get promoted. It's not like this long track record of it, where you got to lead a team for eight years, nine years, ten years, and eventually, if you're not good, because what are the guys saying? They're like, "Hey, we'll just put it up for another." It's it takes them it takes them six months to figure out that you're an idiot, right. and then another six months to go, "Wow, we confirmed this guy's an idiot." And then there's a year left; they'll suffer through it because it's going to be a pain in the ass to try and get rid of you. And then you leave, and they get a new boss, and they're happy so you can survive through the military being a bad leader that being said 
good leaders in the military, they've been tried, they've been trained, and they've been tested, and that value is is immense. I I, uh, I struggle with this even today, I think, with, uh, with our company and our companies articulating how important leadership is and then differentiating for my managers and chiefs the difference between technical proficiency, management, and leadership, and being able to bucket all of those things and then combine them into one element. For guys coming out of the military that are expecting to work with civilians, there's a communication gap. And I think there's a combination of things that I have my opinion as far as those communication gaps are. But what are the things that you've seen between corporate America, military guys making the transition into corporate America, and what the expectation should be for military guys transitioning over? Yeah, the, the technical aspect, like you, like you talked about, is you're not going to know that stuff. You're not right. going to know about whatever manufacturing process down a down a line you're just you're just not going to know it It takes time just like it took time to you for you to figure out what you're going to do in in your military job it's going to take some time to figure out what the technical side of your civilian job is going to be so you've got to be and this is a tough one you got to be humble yeah and you got to recognize okay you know what i don't know this and i'm going to need some support and i'm need some help and the other thing is and this is just a this is just a, a leadership a, 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 a snag of leadership that trips everyone up. People think if I'm the leader, I, I should know everything. And that's actually not true at all. And people think if I'm the leader and I admit that I don't know something, my team is going to think I'm weak. Right. And that's not true either. So if you roll into a situation, I mean, if you think about it from a, from a combat perspective, if, if you were in some AO and you had been there for six months and I roll in and I'm doing an op in your AO and I say, hey, Evan, what's going on? I'm Jocko. Hey, we're going to hit this target over here. Um, I, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. If you could just stay out of my way, out of my you know, space tonight, I'd appreciate it. Right. What, what do you think of me? Right. You just think I'm an idiot. Yeah. If I come in, hey, Evan, what's going on? I'm Jocko. We've been down south. I know you've been in this AO for a while. Hey, this is the target we're supposed to hit. I, I'm, I have a totally open mind. How would yeah. you hit it? What would you do? Do you want to come with me? Can you come? Can, can, yeah. I, do you right. want to lead it? I yeah. mean, we'll, we'll, I, I don't care because right. the most important thing to me is accomplishing the mission. Mm-hmm. Now, when you see me do that, you go, oh, okay, this guy's he's in charge, but he's a humble guy. I'm going to help him out. We're going to move forward. We're going to accomplish the mission. So if you have that attitude, and what's interesting is it's so easy to see that from the outside, right? but it's hard to convince yourself that that's actually true when you're in these positions. So when you get in the civilian sector, you got to be humble. And if you, you have that attitude, like you want to learn, and then you, and you still have those leadership techniques, you're going to do fine. This is a super interesting conversation and a point for me because I deal with it in the company where, and I, and I really want to know what your thoughts are around this. Why are people, what are the insecurities, or at least from your perspective, that are driving kind of a rice bowl situation where they're, they've got their 10 acres, they don't want to share, they, they, uh, they, they silo specific responsibilities and it's, it's super counterproductive. You just mentioned several reasons and I see it all the time. And I, I look at it like a cancer that needs to be cut out. Mm-hmm. Why? What, what, what do ego. you It's all ego. It's a lot of it is ego. Right. Now, is there some, Hey, job security there? Right. You know, yes, there is. Is there some, but, but most of it's ego. Most of it's, Hey, I don't want to make this person look good. 
I want to protect what I've got over here. And that's one of, you know, I I've, was my task unit when we deployed, we deployed to Ramadi. This was 2006. It was, it was a very volatile area of Iraq at the time. And when we were there, we, we were just complete brothers with the army and with the Marine Corps. And that's because the fight was hard, right? Right. I mean, the the army colonel at the time who retired as a general McFarland, just an outstanding guy. But he, he, if you could help him, he was all, all about it. If he could help you, he was all about it. If, if they could help me, I was all about it. If we could help them all about it, Marine Corps, same way. So I, I always look back at it, you know, and there was like literally no inter-service rivalry at all and even in even you know when you get and you've seen this i I know you've seen this you know you get like a battalion that's got one ao and then the next battalion over they don't cooperate with each other because and like there wasn't barely even that so i think if you can get people to recognize like hey there's a something real that we're trying to accomplish here and it's bigger than just your department. Right. And if your department, this is this is this is the way we talk about cover and move. You know, cover and move, which you know, obviously, I don't need to explain to you. But hey, we're going to work together to close with and destroy the enemy. While I'm shooting, you're going to move, and when you start shooting, I'm going to move. It's really simple. Well, when I first started work with companies, I didn't even think I was going to teach that. Which, by the way, that's the first law of combat that I wrote down is cover and move. That's the most simple thing. Right. Is you've got to work together as a team. That's what it is. That's what cover and move is. Well, I wasn't. I didn't think that would translate to civilians because they're not in machine gun fights. Right. The first CEO I sat down with and I said, well, what are these problems that you're having? And he was like, well, I got this department over here and I got this division over here and I got this other department over here and they don't work with each other and they don't talk to each other and they don't tell each other what's going on. And I said, oh, they don't cover and move. And he's like, what does that mean? And I explained it to him. He's like, yes, that's it. So if your sales department isn't communicating with your operations department, things are going to fall apart and vice versa. So, and if your sales department isn't working with your marketing department and they aren't telling each other what they need and what's doing well and what, what help they, then guess what? Things are going to fall apart. If your logistics group isn't supporting your sales group, I mean, you have to get people to come together. And if they don't, it's problematic. Yeah, and it's interesting because I see it, and even when you try to force it as as a manager, as a leader, when I'm trying to force communication and put people at the same table, drive the direct communication between divisions and departments, uh, there's still there there's still a hesitation in a lot of the different division or department heads at times in order to fully communicate. Uh, have you read Principles by uh, Ray Dalio? Have I have not. That? And so one of the things he talks about is radical transparency. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've personally been trying to force this idea of just getting everything out. Like, get it all out. Mm-hmm. And I think when we talk about leadership and we talk about management, getting your perspective and saying, how do you get your people to just communicate with candor? Like, how do you do it? Yeah, and there's there's actually... Well, there's a dichotomy to that, right? right? There's a dichotomy because can you communicate with too much candor? Yes. Can you be too radically transparent? Yes, you can. Right. And how does that how does that happen? Well, it's when I come to you and say, Evan, your department did not support me. We failed. It's your fault. That that might be what I truly believe. Is that the right way to approach it? No, right. it's not. I got asked this question the other day. <sighs> was it? A woman that worked in one department in a company, and she says, and it was accounting. 
Mm-hmm. And she said, you know, I work in accounting. And what what am I supposed to do when I need these numbers from these groups and some of the groups will not give me the numbers on time? What am I supposed to do? I asked them 50 times and they don't give me the numbers and it, it fouls up my whole system. What should I do? How do I take How do I even take ownership? You're talking about ownership. Right. How do I take ownership of that? And I, I, I said to her, hey, if if I'm working in accounting and there's a group that's not giving me the numbers that I need, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down there, I'm going to knock on their door, and I'm going to say, hey, I know it's Tuesday afternoon, and I know you know the numbers are due tomorrow. I, I don't know what you got going on. I'm sure you're really busy. What can I do to help you get these numbers to me? Can we sit down for 15 minutes? Because I know it's a little harder right. for you to see the numbers. I, if you show me your your folders here, I can pull them out. We can get this done, and we can get this mission accomplished. It's like, okay, the assumption that they're lazy, the assumption that they're weak, mm. the assumption that they're not doing their job, instead of assuming, hey, maybe they've got more going on than I do. Right. And what I'm asking for them, them for is too much. So if you and I are in a firefight and you're not shooting your weapon and, and I just immediately think Evan's running away or right. Evan's not putting down cover fire for me. This is pathetic. And I start you know, yelling on the radio instead of, you know, when I go, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you putting down cover fire? Instead, I say, Evan, are you good? And you can come back and say, actually, we're pinned down from another direction. I need other support, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to me attacking you. So, and then what happens is, okay, where, where does that escalate to? Because it could escalate to, no, well, an accounting person, now I'm just going to go do, do everyone's job now. Is that what's happening? Right. Actually, no. If... I have to go into your department and this other department and this other department. And I've got to get in there and get their numbers because they're too busy. Well, guess what? In a month or two months of me working too hard, of me working an 80-hour week, I raise my hand to the boss and I say, Hey, boss, I want to let you know what's going on. This is what the, the, the people on the front lines are doing. And when I need the numbers, they can't give them to me for this reason. Right. What I need is one more person on my team that can spend time in each one of these departments and gather those numbers up so we can be more efficient. So eventually, you correct the whole problem as opposed to attacking someone in, as opposed to, it's the opposite of cover and move. Right. It's like, hey, you're not covering for me? Cool, I'm going to start shooting at you. Right? <laughs> like, oh, right. Evan's not shooting for me right now? I'm going to start drilling him in the back. Right. right? Is that is that even even a remote possibility? No, I would never do that. Why do we do it in the business world? Because it's not so obvious that, that, that that's what we're doing. So when someone, you know, I, I'd say this, if it's you and me as partners, right? And you're not carrying, you show up late for work three days in a row. What do I do? People ask me this question, what do you do? And I'm like, oh, well, well, first of all, whatever, you know, Evan needed to get done in the morning, I'm going to try and get it done for him. Right. My assumption is Evan, my assumption is Evan has some sick kid at home. My assumption is his wife is sick. My assumption is the water heater broke or whatever. And I'm going to cover for him. And guess what? What does that do with our relationship? You know, when you come in and you're like, hey, sorry, I'm late. And I go, hey, man, don't worry about it. I got your part of the project covered. We're good. What does that do to our relationship? It's positive team building. Positive team building yep. situation. We just got stronger as a team. Mm-hmm. Now, as opposed to you come in and I go, you're late, waiting on you. Right. And by the way, I told the boss, if this is late, it's because you didn't you didn't get your stuff done. <laughs> right. What does that do to our relationship? What does that do to our team? Oh, it's horrible. Confrontation. And yeah. by the way, what happens three weeks later when I'm late because my water heater broke? Mm-hmm. And, I, and if the last time I dimed you out... You're going to dime me out. You're going to bask in the glory of me being a loser, and you're going to report me to the boss, and we have a horrible working relationship, and everything fails. As opposed to, if I would have helped you before, when I'm late, you're like, hey, 
send me you send me a text that says, "Hey, you're running late. All good. Don't even bother coming in till lunch because I got you covered." Boom. Now we got a team that's working together to try and take care of each other. Now the question becomes, well, what if Evan just keeps not doing his part of the projects? Now, now what are you going to do? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. If you don't want to do your part of the projects and you're going to let me do them, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to do them. I'm going to do them and I'm going to keep doing them until I've, I've absorbed your whole job. And now I realize that you actually don't want to be part of this team. If you don't want to be the part of this team, you're not going to be part of this team. Right. You're going to be gone. People that want to work and want to get after it, you're going to be part of the team. Because eventually, if I start taking your job from you and you want to, you'd be saying, "Hey, Jago, no, hey, man, I'm sorry, I missed that a couple times. Let me get this back. You know, let me, let me, and, and a matter of fact, let me grab this other thing from you. And okay, cool. Now we're working together. So that's what you got to develop within your, within your team. And again, that's where radical, what'd you call it? Radical, radical transparency. Radical transparency. My gut, my gut, might be. This lazy bastard is right. late again. I'm not going to let that radical transparency out. I'm going to actually stifle my little pathetic emotions, and I'm going to assume that you tried to do the right thing, but you can't for whatever reason, and I'm going to have your back because that's how I roll. That's interesting because we've got a we've got over 50% of the company's veteran and the communication that we see on a daily basis, it actually defines the culture. There's a, there's a lot of different things there that are, that are this soup of activity that is the ecosystem of the company. And one of the big things that, that I'm trying to work on, I think a ton of people would, would provide some value is creating a, a more positive team environment through communication which would be candor right you do you definitely have to get to the root of problems like you you got to cut to the bone you can't waste time from my perspective you can't pontificate about a bunch of bullshit you got to go right to it you know how do you get right to it with candor and respect in order to solve the problem while creating a positive team environment Mm -hmm. yeah there's a real simple tactical solution to this it's so simple. It's shocking. And I, and I kind of talked about it yesterday when I talked at that speech um, that I gave. When there's a problem and you want to use this radical can- candor, instead of pointing the radical candor at your team, point it at yourself. Right. You point it at yourself. Because give me an example of something that goes wrong at, at your at your company. Um, we, we use a lot of paid for service or Mm -hmm. services and you'll have different forms of those services that that need oversight and if we don't necessarily have the appropriate amount of oversight they won't be managed appropriately Mm -hmm. so then you'll have to go back to the individual manager and you'll have to say okay these are your three accounts they're not delivering why Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it happens it happens Several times a month. So several times a month, from my perspective, when I ask that question, hey, Bill, mm-hmm. hey, Bill, what's going on? Hey, I-, I see that there's been some problems with these services, and I-, I know you're in charge of them. And what I'm thinking is I'm not giving you the support that you need right. to make this happen properly because we've missed three times now this month, which as you know, and also I want to kind of explain to you, because I don't think I've done a good job of explaining to you what happens when we miss. When you, when your three deals, when your three 
projects or whatever over here, when these things miss, I want to show you what happens down the chain. So it throws this off, it throws this off, it throws this other thing off, which, by the way, is something that we can't even recover. We'll never make that up. Right. So that's a real problem. So I, I don't think I've really done a good job of explaining to you how this affects everyone else down the line. The other thing I'm wondering is, do you have a, do you have the support that you need to get this done? Mm-hmm. Because I, f- I feel like I've always felt like, you know, I, I like to decentralize and I want to just have you run things, but I might have put you out here so far that you need more support. So what I want to do is like, what can I do to help? What can I do to make sure that this doesn't happen anymore? Because we, we, and I've told you what the details are. We actually can't let this happen anymore. Right. So what does that do? Instead of that person thinking that you're blaming them and you're pointing the finger at them, they're they're actually thinking that they should be thinking two things. Number one, I, I should be I need to do a better job. I didn't realize what all these after effects were. And number two, this guy might start micromanaging me if I don't get my act together. <laughs> right. And right. and that is that is actually a true statement. Mm-hmm. If you work for me and you're squared away. I'll be the the most decentralized boss you've ever dreamt of in your life. If you're not squared away, uh, you're going to figure out what micromanagement is. No one likes to get micromanaged. And I won't micromanage you offensively like like and by offensively I mean like I won't micromanage you to the point where you get mad in the beginning. Because I'm going to give you a chance. I'm going to micromanage you. Instead of checking in on you once a week, all of a sudden I'm checking in every two days. Because, I mean, how long do you go without checking in with Bill and making sure that those services are on the, on the path? Right now, you are You give him like a month. Hey, you, you don't even check on him till he's late. And so I'm going to change. I'm not saying you specifically. But as a boss, you're saying, oh, I didn't check on these until they were late. And then they were late. Now i got to go do something about it. Next time, I'm checking, I'm checking every other day. I'm in there. Hey, where are we at? What do we need to do to tighten us up? And eventually, they figure out what the parameters of success are, and they start making it happen on their own. Then I ch- check them you know, twice a week. Then I check them once a week, and then we're back to checking them once a month. Now, some people, when you give them that much rope, they'll start, they might not hang themselves, but they'll get it knotted up. Right. And that's when I'll figure out where that, that balance of... The balance, this dichotomy of micromanagement versus hands-off, decentralized command. And when I find that balance with that individual worker or subordinate, that's what I'm going to go with. This is – so this happens a ton in business, obviously, all across my business. And I know the guys that I know in the industry that are managers and CEOs. It's proper management and then – giving people enough latitude where they feel they they're they're autonomous and they're fulfilled based on they get to make their own decisions not giving them enough support because you don't know and this happens a lot with military guys that i've seen is they won't ask for support so you'll have that conversation we just had which is a walk down to you know uh kevin's office and say hey dude what what can i do in order to facilitate more success because we dropped these three timelines, we're a week late, your reporting's late. These are all the things that are wrong with this. What can I do to help you? I got it. You know what? Last week was, it was uh, it, it was a busy week. You know, my wife was sick. Yep. Like, hey, okay, Roger that, man. I'm going to come back next week. We're going to talk about it again. But it keeps happening. Yeah. So this is what I call the escalation of counseling. Right. So it starts off with, with you know, hey, Evan, 
hey, we were late three times, bro. Are you, you understand that we can't be late, right? I mean, this is like on you. This right. is your department. And when we're late, it hurts everyone. You got that, right? And you're like, yeah, I'm, hey, man. I was like, okay, I just want to make sure you knew that. Because, like I said, we can't be late. And and sometimes that'll correct the problem. You know, and Evan will buckle down a little bit and do things a little bit better. Sometimes it doesn't. And then, you know, next week, hey, we were late three times again with our numbers. This, 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 we talked about this last week and, you know, you told me you had some things going on, but this is two weeks in a row. Like you understand that this is important, right? And, you know, you say, yeah, yeah, hey, this is what's going on. This is, I'll fix it. And, and maybe that fixes the problem. And maybe I've pointed out a couple things, you know, hey, do this a little bit different. Pull this person over here. You know, maybe I've given you a little bit of guidance to help you correct that situation. Right. Some nice gentle guidance. Little suggestions, right? Little suggestions. And maybe that you take those suggestions and you implement them and maybe everything's cool. Or, of course, maybe it's not. Maybe you didn't listen and maybe you. And now all of a sudden I got to go in there and it's, it's escalating, right? Now yep. it's, hey, listen, Evan, okay, this is, this is now three weeks in this situation. I'm actually talking to you right now for the last time that I'm only talking, if I have this discussion with you again, I'm actually going to have to write you up, which is not something I want to do, but I want to make sure that you understand the words that are coming out of my mouth right now, which is, we need to get this fixed. What do you need to fix it? If you need something from me, tell me right now. If you can handle it on your own, then it better be fixed or work. I'm actually going to have to go to paper on this. Right. And we're bros. That's not supposed to happen. Come on. Get in the game. And now Evan realizes, like, oh, my God. <laughs> and realizes Jocko's going to actually write me up. But, but I'm not going to let that happen. And you take those suggestions and you fix everything. And that's cool. Or you don't. Or you don't. In which case, now I'm coming in. We're, I'm writing it down. I'm telling you exactly what you need to do. I'm telling you what the exact expectations are. I'm telling you what the corrective measures are. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to tell you what the consequences are of you not achieving what I need you to, to achieve. And, you know, then it's crystal clear. You look at it, you know what you're supposed to do, and you've got the actual course corrections. Hey, I want you to do this process different. I want you to pull this person over here. I want you to fix these things. And you go and you do those things, and it's cool. And I walk in three months later with that piece of paper, and I put it in the shredder like we used to do in the teams, right? No problem, no factor. It's all in the past. We're good. Thanks for straightening that out. Or you don't straighten it out. And now... I'm going to execute whatever I told you I was going to execute, whether I'm going to move you to a different department that doesn't have as much stress or I'm going to you know, put you in a different – or I'm going to fire you, right. Wh- whatever that's going to be. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons we feel bad as leaders when we fire someone is because we haven't done what we know we should have done as a leader to take care of that person, to coach them, to mentor them. Right. And, I, and I use those words. I always put a little weird – tone in my voice when I talk about coaching and mentoring. The reason I do that is because almost no one wants to get coached and mentored. Like it's offensive to just about every single person in the world to get coached. And because when I say, Evan, you know, I'm going to give you some coaching here. Like that is just, (laughs) it's just automatically. What does that mean? It means that you don't know anything. It means that I'm the superior being and I'm going to coach you. Listen, you know what you need? You need some good mentoring from me. And don't worry, Evan, I'm going to do that for you. People just go. Now, are there some people that are humble enough to be like, oh man, that's outstanding. I I can't wait for you to, you know, help me get better. There's some people like that, like 0.01% of the population. (laughs) So it's more about developing a relationship where when we're talking, you don't even see me, you don't even see the flanks that I'm coming 
onto you that I'm that I'm hitting you from for, for you you're just you just walk away from a conversation you had with me with new ideas in your head about how you're gonna do your job better and you're not even exactly sure where they came from but they seem pretty good and you're gonna give them a try that's optimal now there's a dichotomy with this because if I'm using this form of kind of indirect communication with you to make suggestions and it's not having the impact that you need to move to move you in the right direction, then I need to become more and more direct. And so there's a dichotomy in be, in communication. Can you be too direct in communication? Yes, you can. Well, if I can be so direct with you that you reject it and you just get mad at me, right? I can be so indirect that you don't receive the information that you need and you don't make any changes. So I have to constantly modulate and balance that dichotomy and find out what I need to do to get Evan to do what I need him to do. Which, and that's leadership, by the way. Yeah, and this this is this is something that we we struggle with. I think across the board, I think managers, leaders across the board, it's effective communication, getting the right point across, understanding how you can emphasize the priorities, get everybody in line with what the mission of the company is, whether that's a Q four objective, whether it's a financial goal, whatever that is, and. One of the things that I, I I I really try to emphasize is how do you have hard conversations with your employees and your subordinates? Because psychologically, people avoid that like a fucking hot stove. Yep. And I look at it like procrastination. You talked about it yesterday. If I know and I feel like there's a hard conversation that needs to happen, that's the conversation I actually need to have. That's yeah. the one I need to have. Yes. And to just to bring that point home even further, if it just like, okay, if we're, if we're on the battlefield and there's a problem in a room, like we hear whether it's shots fired, whether we hear screaming, if we ignore that problem, is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? It's going to get worse. Right. You have to go and deal with the problem. The hard conversations that we're talking about, even in the escalation of, of, of counseling that I just kind of went through, the f- early conversation is actually, it's actually not even a negative conversation. It's a positive conversation. It's me saying, hey, Evan, uh, hey, I know you were late to work. Is everything okay? Right. Do you, you know, are you good? Is everything okay at home? Do you need a day off? I mean, that's right. like a positive conversation. Yeah. The, then the next conversation is like, okay, that, the next conversation might be hard, but it's only like a level one hard. Mm-hmm. If I have that conversation, the chances are that's going to put you course correction and we're going to be okay. So if you have the hard conversations earlier, they're easier. The longer I wait to have the hard conversation, the harder that conversation is going to be, the more direct you have to be, and it's it's going to be harder. Now, can you not do it? Um, uh, there's no avoiding it now, right? Right. So you actually have to have it. Another little, just a straight up tactical methodology when you have to have a hard conversation with someone, because we're all just big wimps when it comes to having hard conversations. So what I used to do, and I didn't have to do this very often. And the reason I didn't have to do it very often is because I always had the, the, the less hard, hard conversations earlier. Like if you were getting out of line, I wouldn't wait. I'd be like, Hey bro, you need, you need to straighten this out, man. This is, this is not good. And that's exactly how I'd say, I wouldn't say it like attacking you. I'm like, bro, you cannot, you know, Hey man, you're in charge of a platoon here, man. You can't, you can't show up looking like this. That's ridiculous. Just a conversation like that, you know? And, and, and sometimes guys be like, Oh man, that's You know, and occasionally someone would blow that off. And be like, I don't need to listen to this guy. You know, when I, when I was running training, I'd say, hey, man, you can, you're the platoon commander. And you're getting up to brief your boys. And you, and you got a big fat dip in your mouth. And you're spitting in the middle, middle of your brief. Like, I get it. But guess what? Step it up a little, man. Come right. on. 
Step it up. Just it's a one hour brief. Step it up. Be professional. Your guys will factor. And ninety nine percent of the time, the guys would be like check, and they'd come into their next brief looking squared away, and he'd be like check. This guy gets it. Occasionally, there'd be someone. That hey, that's not important. I'm John Wayne, you right. know, and I'm going to do what I do. And it's like, okay, well, let's let's. Hey, man, here's what's going on. The reason I told you that is because when you're briefing, you're not just briefing your platoon. Mm-hmm. You're briefing your platoon. You're going to be briefing battalion commanders. You're going to be briefing. You're going to be sitting t- talking to a brigade commander, and your boys are going to be with you. And if you always brief like a jackass. And all of a sudden, you try and change. The guys aren't. Guys are going to be caught off guard, and they're going to be unprofessional because that's what they're used to. So step it up, man. This is a real thing. So you you have the the earlier you have those conversations, the the easier they are. Now, what I was going to say is when I did have to have hard conversations, because for whatever reason, maybe someone just wasn't getting it. I would write down the bullet points, the right. nine things I was going to tell them. I would print them out, two copies. One for me, one for them. When they'd come in, it would be sitting on the desk looking at them. Now I just I just painted myself into a corner. There's you got, there's no you escape. Go. There's no escape in the hard <laughs> conversation when you put that piece of paper in front of them. Now this is the this is the dichotomy though. And this is where when we talk about radical transparency and radical candor and those things, radical transparency and radical candor is not permission to be an asshole to people. Right. And if I'm an asshole to you because I believe in radical transparency, am I doing anything to build a relationship with you? No, No. I'm not. I'm actually going in the reverse direction. What's the most important thing to me as a leader is that I have a good relationship with you. Now, does that mean that I coddle you? No, it doesn't because coddling you actually doesn't build a good relationship. It doesn't build a good relationship at all. What builds a good relationship is being balanced between like, hey, Evan's been grinding super hard. You know what? I'm giving him Friday off and I'm giving him a bonus. Like I'm going to take care of him. He's been at it hard for, you know, 68 days straight. Right. Guess what? I'm giving him some downtime. That's that's builds a relationship. It doesn't build a relationship to say, oh, Evan, you, you can take another day off even though you haven't been doing your job because is that really helping you? No. Do you respect me? No. Is it going to help us accomplish our mission? No. All those things are negative. So you have to you have to do that fine line between being, you know, being disciplined and at the same time allowing people to have freedom. You've got to balance that dichotomy. It's a very hard thing to do. But building the relationships with your team and when you smash them, because you're you you're radical candor, you're just gonna get after it. Hey, this is the way to you know, it's like that that doesn't build a relationship. There's better ways to do it. And I see this a lot, which is you've got Which what, by the way, and I just gotta I just gotta say this. By the way, no one expects me to say that. No one expects Big Jocko to come in here and say, like, no, I'm not gonna attack my you know the machine gunner and say you shot outside the front you know what it says like okay hey man i don't know what i did wrong during the brief to to put you in a situation where you didn't understand what your field of fire is right but we got to make sure that that never happens again like you we're thank god where you shot there was no civilians and there was no friendlies but you were so far out of line that i can't believe it and I don't know what I did wrong, but you need to talk to me right now and communicate to me what you didn't understand so that this never happens again. We hold and maintain our fields of fire. That's that. That's a different way of of talking to someone than 
telling them that they're screwed up, telling them that they're an idiot, telling them that, you know, all, all those negative things. Right. Um, that, that doesn't build our relationship, mm-hmm. and I'm not looking to do that. I'm not looking to do that with anyone that's on my team. Well, and I've seen this a lot, especially with managers where I've had to come back and counsel managers and talk to them where what they'll do is they'll delay a hard conversation. So instead of having that early positive conversation ever in this first cycle of this, then they'll keep punting, keep punting, keep punting, keep punting. Mm -hmm. And then the next recommendation is we've got to terminate. Yep. Because (laughs) that happens at so many companies. And then when you try to explain it and you have to come back and actually explain it to them, how many, conversations have you had with yeah. them about yeah. their performance and their performance issues mm-hmm. how many times do you think they come back with none yeah well and it's funny when i this is a, okay this is a good conversation because when i went into the civilian sector my vision of the civilian sector was oh if someone's not doing their job they work for you you just fire them, <laughs> yeah, right? Mine too. And guess what? The civilians think of the military. The civilians think of the military. Oh well, if someone's not doing their job in the military, you just order them to do it, and right. they do it because they have to, because they'll get put in the stockades or whatever it is that they think. <laughs> right. The fact of the matter is, in both situations, you 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 have to counsel people. You have to have you have to have paperwork. You have to actually counsel them, written counseling, and explain what their performance shortfalls are. You have to do that in both arenas. But to your point, yeah, that happens all the time people don't want to have those hard or easy hard conversations that are a little easier earlier now one thing that i look at there when i'm in a position i look at that's my fault as the leader because that's an actual it's an actual jujitsu move right it's an actual jujitsu move and some people don't know that yet they don't know that hey there's a way to have that they don't recognize that the that you have to tell people things earlier and so if i've failed as a leader to let them know like listen the longer you let people get out of line and the further they go out of line, the, the harder it is to bring them back on track. And there are some situations where you can't bring them back on track. Right. So you, you, you need to tighten up your leash. And the way you do that is by actually having more conversations that might seem a little bit rough. But believe me, if you have them early and you have them often, you're going to end up in a much better position. So if I haven't taught my subordinate leadership how to do that, that's my fault. And I'm going to show them that. we got to remember that these are... These are skills. And this is a type of thing that not everyone in the military get. You know, this is the type of thing when I was saying, like, not everyone in the military is a good leader. Well, yeah, this is a type of thing where some people never developed the skill. They never got to see someone. You know, I had some incredibly great leaders that I worked for. And these are the things that I watched them do. I watched them. You know, I watched a guy when I would screw something up, never like actually make me feel just like horrific guilt. Not not anger, not defensiveness, just guilt that I did. Man, I can't believe I let my boss down. I can't believe that feels awful to let my boss down. And I had other guys where I screwed something up. They were awful leaders, and it was an offensive attack on me. And all my thought in my own head, Mr. Extreme Ownership, my right. thought was, you know, 19, 20 years old, this guy should never, he didn't give me that information in time. That's ridiculous. How could I have ever prepared those radios or how could I ever known this was going to happen? That's, that's crap. And and that's the difference. That's the difference. Well, and sometimes you're right. I, you know, sometimes it is their fault. I mean, and that's, I guess that's the thing is where, you know, I'm listening to yesterday with owning it and understanding the ownership part of that but then being professional mm-hmm. and then shifting the psychology is is a positive thing in that ownership because even if you know they fucked it up mm-hmm. take it on 
Well, I was about to say, you, you know, you you go ahead and present me with an example where it's the guy on the front line's fault. Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible. It's almost impossible to give me an example where it's the problem of the person, of the subordinate. It's literally almost impossible. Machine gunner, I mean, you, you, you come up with an example. Come up with the craziest example you can of a, of a platoon or of a squad and something goes wrong. Exactly. I, and, I, I see it. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. you could say, hey. If, if you have a negligent discharge, I must not have trained you effectively in order to have an N- because you had an ND. So you yep. obviously need more training, and it's my fault. And you want to take that one step further where a guy intentionally does something or he does right. something that's stupid. Gets in a fight well, in a bar. Get, guess, guess whose yeah. fault that is. Fine. Why did I keep, why are you on the team? Because that, that is the end, right? Right. And this is another problem that we run into as leaders. If you take extreme ownership of, like, okay, if it's if my subordinate's doing something wrong, it's my fault. And you can drive that where now I just keep taking ownership of all these screw-ups that the person does without recognizing what you actually should be doing. You've done all the coaching and mentoring and help that you can. What this person needs to do is a different job. Right. And maybe it's not within your organization. <laughs> that's, and that's yeah. understandable. And this is a... This is a psychology that I would see a lot in the SEAL teams where you'd have a SEAL platoon and you've got a platoon chief and the platoon chief, those are his guys. And right. he, what is, how does he refer to me? He says, my, my guys, guys, my guys. And he'll get a bad apple in that the guy just is, is incompetent. He can't do his job. And the, the platoon chief his hey, that's my guy. I'm going to get him up to speed. I'm going to take care of him. And he's loyal to him and he does his best to bring that kid up to speed and doesn't see that that kid is actually putting everyone else in jeopardy. Right. So what do you have to do? You have to you have to break out break out the chief and say, Chief, man, I love the fact that you're trying to take care of this guy, but you're actually putting everyone else at risk. And your loyalty to this one guy, you're allowing your loyalty to this one guy trump your loyalty to your platoon. And and you got to look at this. You got to step back and have a look at it with me. Look at what this guy's had four safety violations. He's 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 confused in the house. Come up on the rafters and right. watch this guy on a run. He doesn't belong here. And and so that's you see that in the civilian sector too. So the idea that there's some problem that can happen below you in the chain of command mm-hmm. and it's not your fault. It's like it doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. I was talking. I I went through this conversation. Like you plan a mission. And you're going to go assault a target, and you're going to take helos to the target, and you're going to take the target down, and you're going to do it, right? Bad weather rolls in, and the helos can't come and pick you up, right? I'm, hey, you can easily say, hey, I, look, I, I whatever you want to say about ownership, Jocko, I cannot control the weather. Right. Like, it doesn't happen. So we didn't fail the mission. We just couldn't execute it because the weather was bad. And it's like, okay, if that's your attitude, well, then you're never going to change anything. If, on the other hand, you were like, okay, guess what? The weather was bad, and I, as the leader, should have thought about this and had some contingency plans in place that would allow us to execute the mission easier anyways. Like, what if we would have forward staged a closer base that we could have actually either taken vehicles or foot patrolled to? Or what if, there's a a bunch of different ways to skin this cat that I could have thought about, and maybe those wouldn't be viable. But at least you would say, hey, look, we couldn't take the helicopters. We were forward staged, but there was a report of you know massive IEDs on the roads going in, and that's why we foot patrolled. And, and it's like, okay, now the timeline ran out. Well, okay, guess what? Our last contingency is we're going to roll 24 hours. We've got the, everything set up, and we'll hit the target the next night. That's okay. Like, But you have to think through the stuff. You have to take ownership of as much as you possibly can. And by the way, are there some things that you absolutely cannot control? Yes, there are. 
And what do you do? You mitigate those risks as much as possible, and then you don't worry about them anymore because you can't control them. <laughs> so you get to this point, you're, you've counseled, you've recounseled, you've got this guy that you've invested a ton of energy in, you can't have these conversations, you're going to termination mode. You know, you got to terminate. Mm-hmm. Advice on termination. Well, one thing is when you've already laid out what the expectations are and what the consequences are, when they come when they come into your office, they already know. Yeah. They, they there's it's not even even that. That's another thing. These hard conversations, they they you soften by doing the right procedure by escalating correctly. You soften the final hard conversation isn't even that hard. They come into a. I've had guys apologize to me, like I'm so sorry that you have to do this. And, and and they mean it like they're they feel bad that they couldn't make it happen and so if you do this correctly then that hard con- that final hard conversation is like look man here's what happened we we know that you didn't get done what you're supposed to do and the best thing I can do for you is I'm gonna write you an awesome resume I'm gonna be a, um, I'm gonna talk to anybody that wants to call me and, and let them know that you're a really hard worker but that you didn't work out here for the for because it wasn't the right job for you right but I'm going to take care of you, and that's the best I can do. Because you know, you you know me, man. What I want to do is I want to take care of everyone. I want to take care of this team, and I want to take care of the mission. And right now, as you've seen from the numbers I showed you, from the path that we went down, you y- you're not helping the team right now. And I'm responsible for everyone on the team, bro. Not not just you. And if you can go away and you come back and you want to reapply and maybe you take another crack at this thing, right. come and get it, man. You know you worked hard. It's it, that's the way it is. Every time, here's one more thing to think about. If you care about the guys on your team and you don't have those hard conversations with them, that's actually the worst possible thing you can do. If you don't tell someone where their shortfalls are, how are they ever going to correct those shortfalls? And again, if you can work on your tactical eloquence, there, I just made up a new buzzword. If you can work on your tactical eloquence so that you can have conversations with people that don't offend them and that don't feel uncomfortable for you, because you can say, hey, man, you know, like I said, hey, man, bro, I get that you're from Tennessee, but you can't stand up in front of your platoon giving a brief with your CO in the back of the room, spitting every three <laughs> right. sentences. Into a disgusting yeah. water bottle. Yeah, like yeah, dis- into a nasty water <laughs> right. bottle. Like, bro, you can't do that. You know, like, that's not a hard conversation to have. It's fun. I'm getting the point across. And like I said, sometimes it needs to escalate beyond that. But if you carry yourself correctly, 99% of the conversations I had was that one right there. And it pulled people back on track because they know I'm just being a, I'm being a straight shooter. Mm -hmm. I'm not being an asshole and just telling them what's up in a, in a, in a nice way. And so if you can develop some tactical eloquence, you can become a much better leader just by learning how to communicate people in in a non-offensive way. And again, no one expects me to say this. They expect me to be like, no, when someone's out of line, you sit them down hammer them. and you drop the hammer, <laughs> yeah. the hammer of doom. <laughs> right. That's what I do. That's what, that's what Jocko rolls. Yeah. You know, like Leif, you know, like, like Leif who, who wrote the book, you know, we'll, we'll ask, he'll ask a crowd, you know, um, when someone's have what well, we have in conversations like this and he'll ask a crowd, he's like, how many times do you think Jocko yelled at me when I worked for him directly for 18 months? And... And, you know, people will kind of look puzzled, but the, the answer is zero. Like, right. never, and he, and he's, usually he says something like, how many times do you think Jocko wanted to yell at me? 
because I was a dumb young lieutenant that didn't know what I was doing. And people are like laughing because, you know, clearly when you're uh, in your second platoon and you're a platoon commander, you're going to make some pretty grievous mistakes because it's a hard job and there's a lot of stuff to learn. You don't know anything. And you don't know <laughs> yeah. anything. And, yeah. and, you know, like Leif, he had come from the fleet and he had done right. one deployment as a SEAL. And so, like, guess what? He had a lot to learn. And, uh, you know, he made a lot of mistakes. We all did when we were young. Right. And, you know, I never never yelled at him and never had to, you know. But I would say, like, hey, man, you need to take a look, another look at this plan because right now all, all your eggs, and I, by all of them, I mean all of them, you got all your eggs in one basket. And if this doesn't go the way you want it to, it's going to be a failure. Be so nice. you just need to, like, think about that. Right. And, and, you know, because I didn't say this is a stupid plan. Right. Right. I would just ask him to think about the plan a little bit. And asking questions goes a long way. This is another story that, that Leif talks about. We were doing runs in the kill house, and it was his platoon, and I was in the rafters watching his platoon, and he was in the back of the train. And, you know, I don't believe that in the back of the train you can control anything that's happening. Now, should you be in the front of the train as the assault force commander? Absolutely not, because then you're going to be entering rooms and shooting at targets and handling prisoners, and that takes you out of your job. If you're in the very back of the train, you don't have any idea what's going on in the front of the train. So where do you want to position yourself? Somewhere where you can have some sense of what's going on up front. And I knew that, right? Right. And so I, but I just said to him, hey man, why are you in the back of the train? And I didn't mean it, I didn't say it like this. What the hell are you doing in the back of the train? Right. Because that's a different question. That question assumes that he's dumber than me. Mm Mm-hmm. That's what it assumes. It assumes that I know everything and he knows nothing. But the question, hey, man, what are you doing in the back of the train? That question assumes that he may actually know something that I don't know, which is entirely possible. I don't care how new you are. You can figure something out. So having the attitude of like assuming that the other person actually might have knowledge instead of assuming that the other person is an idiot and you're brilliant, that alone goes a long way in your tactical eloquence. Right. Something to use. So you're, we're we're coming up on the end of this. I want to be as as respectful as we can with, with time. A couple scenarios. Mm-hmm. You're six months out from ETSing out of the military. You don't have a college degree, and you want to start a business. How do you prepare for this? The first thing you got to make sure is that you have your income taken care of, right? Because right? I'm assuming if you're getting out, you probably have some kind of a family scenario going on because otherwise, why would you get out? Right. <laughs> Everyone only gets out. Well, most people only get out because they've left their they've left their wife and kids behind for months and months and years on end. So you got to figure out how you're going to pay your bills. And that's a weird thing. I think you and I were talking about this yesterday when you're in the military and you get a paycheck every two weeks. And when you're in the military your whole life, you just think that's normal. Yeah. And that's one of the big shockers that people have when they get out of the military is the the fifteenth of the month comes around and, <laughs> and there's nothing, nothing that there. goes into their account, <laughs> right. and that's a little bit of a shocker for people. So the first thing you got to do, and you do this before, you know, you do this while you still are in, you save up enough money so that you can survive, so that you can take care of your family, and you got to likely find some avenue of income that's going to allow your family and yourself to be taken care of, to have shelter, food, water, and whatever else you need to survive, right? And then, you know, then you've got whatever this plan, whatever this idea that you have is. And if you're, you're going to start a business, um, you know, you you 
have your security of whatever that thing is that whatever that main job is and then you start building on this idea that you have and check out the viability for it some people have really good ideas they're bad at execution some people are good at execution they have bad ideas some people i mean there's some ideas that aren't good right like you think it's a good idea and that's fine and you in your own mind it's brilliant and as you start talking to people about it you can't believe how stupid everyone else is that they can't see the brilliance of your idea And, and that's very problematic if, if there's a point in time where you feel like you have to force your idea into people's lives, it, it's probably not the best idea. So, again, you've got to find your stable income, what, what that's, where that's going to come from, what it's going to be, and then you start developing your business plan. And I, I, I definitely like the idea of starting small. You know, keep as much as you can. Don't take money from a bunch of different people where you right. don't have the ownership that you want. You start small and you build. You build as you need it. You grow as you need it. And at some point, you know, you you may have to take some money because you need that capital to kick right. things off. But just slowly build. Take again. This is the dichotomy of leadership, right? This is you got to take some risks. You're going to risk some money. You're going to risk some time and effort and investment. Don't if you risk too much, then you're guess what? If you risk too much, you look up in six months, the idea didn't go the way you want it to. Now you have to take another job and now you don't <laughs> right. have time to do this idea anymore. Right. So you, you have to remain balanced as you're doing it. And yeah. And the other thing is you're going to work hard. You're going to work hard at whatever that civilian job is or whatever that other job is that's bringing you money. Every other minute of the day is going to be spent doing this thing that you're trying to bring to life. And every problem that occurs is on you. Every person that has a complaint is calling you. Every vendor that doesn't show up is your responsibility and you have to deal with it. So just be prepared to work 24 hours a day. Because when you have your own business, you work 24 hours a day and that's the way it is and it and it stays like that for a long time until your company gets big enough where some other people can come in and start start right. taking care of stuff for you man i can't thank you enough where can people find you uh you just released a new book uh talk to us about where they can find you and what books are out on amazon and where where they should go to actually buy these things okay so yeah i've written a few books i've written 3 books for adults the first one is called Extreme Ownership. That one's about these fundamental leadership principles from combat that I talked about today. And the next book that I wrote was called Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual, which is really focused not on being a leader of other people. It's basically about leading yourself and how implementing discipline in your life is going to give you the freedom that you want, right? This is what we just talked about with business. It's going to take discipline to get this thing launched. Eventually, it's going to give you the freedom that you want, but you have to put the discipline in up front. Same thing with being in good physical health, right? Like you want to have the freedom to move around and be able to do what you want to do. You have to have the discipline up front to eat correctly and work out. You want to have financial freedom, same thing. Like you've got to have financial discipline in order to end up with financial freedom. And so that book, I also have... People would always ask me what my workouts were, so I put my the, the second half of that book is actually about actions. The first part is thoughts, and the second part is actions. The actions talks about training martial arts, about training shooting, about 
various workouts to do, recovery, all that kind of stuff, sleep. So that's in Discipline Equals Freedom Field Manual. The last adult book that just came out is called The Dichotomy of Leadership, and I've mentioned what that concept is a bunch of times today, so I don't need to rehash right. it here. I've written uh, three kids' books so far. The first one is called Way of the Warrior Kid, and it is about a young kid that has the problems that kids have, which is he can't do any pull-ups, so he gets made fun of. He doesn't know his times tables, so he thinks he's stupid. He doesn't know how to swim, so he can't do any of the the field trips with the class. And he's getting picked on by a big bully named Kenny Williamson. And he's all sad at the end of the school year, fifth grade. He's all crying behind the library. And he comes home, and he remembers that his Uncle Jake is coming to stay with him for the summer. His Uncle Jake was in the SEAL teams and he's getting ready to go to college. He's just, just left the SEAL teams. And so his uncle Jake shows up and he's like, Hey, what do you want to do tomorrow? You know, you want to go play basketball? You want to go for a swim? What do you want to do? And he's like, well, I can't really not good at sports and I don't know how to swim. And he starts crying and tells him all his problems. And uncle Jake says, Hey, you know what? These are all problems that we can fix. These are all problems we can fix. So he teaches him how to swim, brings him down, starts teaching him jujitsu at the jujitsu Academy, teaches him how to study because he didn't know how to study, teaches him how to use flashcards and how to memorize things, and teaches him how to work out so he can eventually do pull-ups. So that's Way of the Warrior Kid. The next book after that is the same series. It's called Mark's Mission, and it, the other problems that kids have, learning about work ethic, right. learning about discipline, learning how to deal with not physical bullies, but psychological bullies, and why people act that way, and starting to understand human nature a little bit better as a kid. And then I've got another book coming out in November, which is called Mikey and the Dragons, which is a little bit younger age group. And that's about a little kid that scared of everything. And he finds a book about a kingdom where the prince, where the, where the king has died and the prince needs to step up and f- defend the kingdom from the dragons. And he's not quite sure he can do it. Finds a note from his dad in the war chest, and it kind of explains him how to stand up and and face his fears and face the dragons, and then he's able to do it. And the other kid learns from that book. So those are those are my books as of right now. You can get them on wherever you buy books. Right, they're available. Yeah. Um, I got uh, oh yeah. As far as finding me, I got a podcast, yeah. which is called Jocko Podcast, and what we talk about is. What we really talk, or what we were essentially talking about, is human nature. But right. it's human nature as viewed through the lens of war and atrocity and leadership. Because, in my opinion, if you want to get to see human nature in its clearest form, it doesn't become any more revealed than in times of high stress on people's lives, which is combat mm-hmm. and atrocities. So that's Jocko Podcast, and you can listen right. to wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on the uh, the big social media. Yeah, that's just Jocko Willink, right. at Jocko Willink on, on all the different variety all of, of things. Well, I can't, I cannot thank you enough for being on the show. Uh, you know, I, I, I said that several times. I have all your books. Uh, you know, I share all your books. Uh, I've talked about them within my company. I've talked about them within other guys and other companies. I share your podcasts. Uh, 
huge amount of respect for what you do. Uh, it, it's been an honor and a privilege for for me to just sit here for an hour and twenty minutes. Man, it's it's awesome. So yeah, well, I, I appreciate it. I'm, I don't know if I'm all that, but uh, you know, same back at you, man. I mean, you you got out and you've been running your thing, and you guys are getting after, and it's awesome to see. You know, you guys are great examples of what vets are capable of and it's everything i just talked about you guys took your leadership principles i mean and turned them into kick-ass businesses multiple businesses which is which is a, an amazing thing to see and i like i like seeing it and so back at you respect awesome well uh, i'm evan hafer with launch code and drinking bros thanks a lot guys and stay tuned for our next one